Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, October 24th. Good show today, guys. Mike Berman, kind of come back on, talk to us about the Bears having a resurgence a little bit. Better uh, better last couple games that they've had beginning of the year. Uh you know, Justin Fields, uh, injury, you know, coming out, replacement coming in. DT quarterback played really well yesterday. We'll talk to him about that. Bedard, first home game is was last night. Going to talk to him about, you know, just how he's been playing so far, how the fans have been reacting to him, and, uh, yeah, getting some bowls as well. I think they tip off on Wednesday night, actually, so tomorrow night. But we're going to start, guys, um, with the NFL Week 7 like we always do, the recap of the games, like we always do. Closest game, most intriguing storyline, uh, shootout, snoozer. We are going to start with you, Zach. What was your closest game of the week? I think I might know what it was. What, what was your closest yeah. game of the week? Yeah, it is. It's Browns-Colts, unfortunately. Now, I've got a lot more thoughts on that as far as the complaintive coming up on uh, the Thursday show. But that was a shootout all the way. Gardner Minshew had a great game. Miles Garrett was the best player on the field by far. Miles Garrett's one of the best defensive players in the league. I think he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame one day. And he really kept the Browns afloat while that offense struggled a little bit. Deshaun Watson, once again, getting knocked out. Sounds like it was a coach's decision because he passed concussion protocol. They just decided to go with the XFL legend, P.J. Walker. That's a gutty win for the Browns. I mean, back-to-back weeks, they've kind of been outplayed or had to grit through some games. They've won their last two by a total of three points. They've been able to win some of the games that the Browns have not been able to win in years past. So give them a little bit of credit for that. Devastating loss, obviously, for the Colts. When you score 38 points, you should be able to win that game. But the officiating was just too much of a story down the stretch. Again, I'll get into that a little bit later. But this was obviously the closest game. It doesn't get any closer than a one-point game. Jonathan Taylor, looking back to his old self, 18 carries, 75 yards. First score of the season since coming back uh, from that pup list, obviously. Yeah, I mean, no one expected this game to be as high scoring as it was, though. This game was just so surprising. Just like I said, Jonathan Taylor's back. Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year for sure. We're going to get into that a little bit later too. But Wilson, he actually did start this game, but was sidelined I think early in the first quarter. Not he didn't play very long at all until he got once he got you know had that bad head hit and then he was taken out for concussion protocols and never really came back. Gardner Minshew played really well too. Uh, over 300 yards of passing, two uh, two TDs, uh, three rushes for 29 yards as well, with two TDs on the on the uh, on the ground. So, four turnover, uh, four turnovers though for Minshew. That's going to be something that needs to be you know taken care of going down the line uh, for the Colts. But overall, yeah, that was a really excited exciting game. My shootout or my closest game of the week, excuse me. I'm going to go with the Broncos Packers. Turned out to be a really, really good game. Uh, with this win, the Broncos end their really bad streak, losing 10 consecutive games when leading at halftime. Jordan Love continues to struggle. Um, this team in general, I mean, this offense in general under Matt LaFleur, very unconfident, uh, very stagnant offense in general, unconfident runs, really short passes. Really not not fun to watch, not taking chances, not really being aggressive with the ball, which they kind of need to do, especially, you know, when Russell Wilson kind of has a bounce back game like he did uh, this past this past game. Justin, what was your uh, closest game of the week? Closest game of the week, I'm going with the Falcons and the Bucks. It was kind of a battle for the NFC South, the way uh, the Saints obviously played on Thursday night, but a close win by the Falcons and a game-and-winning 51-yard field goal to win for the Falcons, 16-13. to Desmond Ritter 
had a better game this week. 19 for 25, 250 yards, didn't throw a touchdown or an interception. Baker Mayfield, though, one touchdown, one interception. The Bucks kind of coming back to life a little bit after the 2-0 start, but a good win for the Falcons. John Robinson, I mean, he, only, uh, he only had one touch for three yards. He needs to get a lot more uh, as the eighth-round pick. Definitely utilize him a lot more than they did this last game because uh, that's definitely not enough, especially with how well he's been playing this whole season. I mean, Zach, what is your most intriguing storyline from this past weekend? Uh, most intriguing storyline, the Philadelphia Eagles knocking off the Miami Dolphins. This was the most intriguing game coming into the weekend. And I think we still have some questions about the Dolphins. They're 5-2, and two, as I mentioned. All five of their wins are against teams that were 5-24 and 24 combined going into that. I haven't done the math on the updated stuff, but it's still not very good. Uh, but they had some chances going into that game. They commit 10 penalties. The Eagles don't commit a penalty. And Philadelphia outmuscled them down the stretch. They ran the ball down their throat. They did the tush-push, fourth and one inside their own 30. That just shows a level of toughness that not a lot of teams have. A.J. Brown, five straight games of at least 125 yards receiving. Only a couple guys have ever done it. Calvin Johnson and some guy that nobody's ever heard of before that. Uh, but Jalen Hurts looked pretty good outside of the pick six. They ran the ball pretty effectively. I think a lot of the doubts about the Eagles, if there were some last week after an off game against the Jets, I think those have kind of dissipated a little bit. And I'm still waiting to see how real the Miami Dolphins are. More so on the Dolphins. I think a lot of the people kind of want to give the credit to the Eagles offense, but it was really their defense that ended up winning this game for the Eagles. I mean, Dolphins only scored 17 points in the game. That's a season low. 10 points at half. That's a season low. Only uh, 44, I think, or 45 total rushing yards. That's also a season low. Uh, barely, barely um, got over the passing. Uh, their, their total passing of the game barely beat uh, their Giants victory and their Panthers victory they had the two previous weeks. And then their total yardage of, on the game, 244, was also the lowest of the season for the Dolphins. So, yeah, I mean, Eagles offense came up obviously to win the game, but I think it was really their defense that people should be talking about more that really you know won them this game. My most intriguing storyline, I don't I want to know what happened to the Lions. I mean, I the Lions were the hottest team going into this weekend. Ravens could still do not lose to NFC opponents. I think going into this game, they were 15 and one against NFC opponents, which or at least Lamar Jackson was I should say was 15 and one against NFC yeah. opponents. Still continues to absolutely dominate uh, that that conference. Obviously, Jared Goff looked really uncomfortable uh, on offense. He looked really uncomfortable throwing the ball. Uh, Lions were just continuously having three and outs. I mean, very frustrating to watch. He did end up having a good stat line, but that's just because the game was kind of a blowout and he needed to have a good stat line and have any chance of coming back. And, of course, the Ravens' off, or defense might have uh, slowed down a little bit too, you know, when you're up 28 to nothing uh, before Lions even score first down. So that's my kind of question going forward. Like, what happened to the Lions and are they going to bounce back? Like, what this was such a weird game for them. I mean, it's one thing for the Ravens to, to beat the – uh, Lions, I think the Ravens, especially, you know, after we saw Miami and Bills this past week, and I think Ravens are legit contenders in the AFC. Uh, I think they're, I think they're third ranked now in, uh, in the sports books to, to win the AFC just under, uh, I think the Dolphins still and the, and the Chiefs. But what are your guys' thoughts on the uh, just Ravens going forward? I know we talked about them a little bit on Saturday's show. Potentially being a team flying under the radar, not getting as much recognition, but I think after this weekend they can definitely be considered a 
AFC contender. What do you guys think? Yeah, they're not going to fly under the radar after this game. They lead the league in sacks. Lamar is playing at a different level than he's played at the last couple of years. And I think it's a better level for him going forward because he's not running as much. He's doing more work in the pocket. His only runs have really been on scrambles, which are still going to be a part of his game. But they don't have as many design runs for him, which I think is very smart under the new offensive regime with Todd Munkin as opposed to what they've done the last couple of years with Greg Roman. The Ravens can play with anybody in football, and I think they showed it in a big way. I think right now there's an obvious top two in the AFC. I think Kansas City and Baltimore are the top two in the AFC, and then you kind of got everybody else after that. The Ravens are no longer under the radar, and I think maybe we reconsider the Lions a little bit. I still think Dolphins are up there as the top three. I think the Dolphins are still in there with uh... – the Ravens and the Chiefs. I might th- you throw the Jags in there. Yeah, yeah, Jacksonville too. Especially you know they they tend to play really well down this down the line you know down the end of the season going into the playoffs. So especially you know once the uh, second half of the season you know rolls around, they they definitely tend to kick it up a little bit. And Doug Peterson has has playoff experience. He knows the playoffs very well. There, yeah, he does. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin, uh, what is your most intriguing storyline of the week? Well, what happened to the Buffalo Bills this weekend? Losing yeah. at New England 29 to 25. The Bills, very concerning. Very concerning to say the least. Should be three and four if they if the Giants do actually run a play at the goal line or score on that uh, first half end of drive end of the first half drive there. Buffalo could be three and four right now. Very concerning to say the least. Josh Allen did have an interception. And they lose to the Patriots, a team that's just one of the worst teams in the league, obviously. They've been dominating New England for the last few years. And Buffalo, very concerning. I kind of knew that the team, that Buffalo was kind of going to fall back a little bit. But I still, but I wouldn't put Buffalo as a top three AFC contender right now after this week. Mac Jones saved his job this week, that's for sure. Uh, over two, over 270 total yards, 25 for 30. Uh, absolutely outdoled Allen, obviously. Move right on to surprise of the week, Zach, because I think this might be your surprise of the week. So we can just continue. Yeah, right into it. It is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. the Patriots beating the Bills is the surprise of the week. Buffalo came into this game uh, playing pretty well as of late. The Patriots have just been awful. And the Patriots made Mac, or, uh, Mac Jones really had probably his best game of the year, 25 of 30, 272. Two touchdowns had a great game-winning drive down the stretch. The thing that surprised me was that the Patriots jumped on the Bills early. Buffalo had to make a comeback just to take the lead. And I think the weaknesses of this Bills team are showing in a big way. They still don't run the football consistently. And outside of Stephon Diggs, they don't really have an offensive weapon that really terrifies you right now. And because of that, teams are able to double-team him. And they're going to say, hey, Gabe Davis, hey, Dalton Kincaid, everybody else, go beat us one-on-one. And they're not doing that right now. Josh Allen's decision-making has been a little bit questionable at times, and the Bills' defense let them down in a big way in this game. You can't allow Mac Jones to drive down the field and beat you like that. The Patriots are able to run the ball. New England got off the schneid, but this is a big problem for the Bills. They've lost to Mac Jones and Zach Wilson this year. That is not good if you're going to be a contender in the AFC. They're certainly going to have to play on the road, and that's even provided that they win the division or even get a wild-card spot, which as close as the AFC is right now, can't make that assumption about this team when you give away games like that. They play with no emotion, it seems. Like, the Bills just seem to play, you know, lackluster, especially the first, like, couple quarters. You know, the first half, they they seem to 
be really sluggish on offense, really, uh, you know, flat-footed. It, you look at them on the sidelines, they look unhappy, they look depressed. They just don't play with any emotion. Patriots, though, Zeke Elliott, yeah, Zeke is back. Zeke Elliott's back. 11 rushes, uh, 31 yards for one touchdown. He uh, he leads away alongside Stevenson, like you said, Zach, uh, 9 for 34, uh, 6 catches for 51 yards. So, I think the Patriots are still a very bad team, and I think this is just a super bad, you know, very bad loss for the Bills. But like I said, uh, Mac Jones was able to save his job for uh, for this week. Obviously, this is my emotion, uh, my surprise of the week as well. But Justin, is this your surprise of the week too? Which uh, which would be the surprise of the week? I would say, yeah, I would say Bills yeah. Patriots probably, probably even Broncos Packers as well. It was a couple. Couple big upsets. Shootout of the week, Zach. What is your shootout of the week? It's Browns Colts, yeah. <laughs> 39-38. There's no doubt. It's the shootout of the week. Uh huh. We talked about it at length when we began the show. Uh, I don't really have much else to say. Miles Garrett, amazing. Gardner Minshew, good stat line, but four four turnovers has to, like I said, has to really, uh, mm-hmm. really, really clean that up. Uh, Justin, is this your shootout of the week too? Anything else you want to add? Yes. Definitely the shootout of the week here. Even losing Deshaun Watson for the Browns, P.J. Walker still was able to manage to win the game, and it was some game, some game by both offenses, but not good for the refs. (laughs) Not a good refereeing game at all. Yeah, there were a couple games this weekend. Um, I do want an interesting kind of, you know, side storyline. This was a weekend where a lot of QBs might be, you know, looked at differently now, you know, going on the stretch. Uh, Browns, obviously Deshaun Watson, he went down, but the backup came in, played really, really well in his absence. Uh, you know, we have Commanders. Uh, Sam Howell looks very, very bad. Daniel Jones might have lost his job today for Tyrod Taylor. We'll get to that in a second. You know, but Justin Fields went down. We have a Division Two quarterback come in. Tyson Bagent, Bagent, whatever, however you say it. What do you guys think just in general about like something else, <laughs> something else, Daniel Jones. I wouldn't say Daniel Jones probably lost his job to Tyrod Taylor, but he's probably not going to be, I wouldn't say he's the future of, of the giants. And for Sam Howell, Sam Howell did not look good in that game at all. I mean, that was just, you know, that was pretty much the snooze fest was giants commanders or even, Maybe Bears Raiders as well. No, nah, I think that's gonna be that was gonna be my snoozer of the week was Commanders Giants and you know Ron mm-hmm. Rivera. I don't understand. In the second quarter, they stop the Giants. They have fourth and goal at the three. Giants are gonna kick a field goal, except they get called for holding. Ron Rivera should decline that penalty and make him kick the field goal, right? No, he decides to take the penalty, backs him up to the fifteen yard line, and next play, Tyron Taylor throws a touchdown pass to Darren Waller. Like situational awareness has to be out there, and it seems like coaches more than ever are not doing that. Coaches are, you know, making dumber decisions. They're not. They don't know how to manage the clock. They don't know how to manage downs, and it just continues to get worse by the week. But as far as this game was concerned, yeah, total snooze fest. The Giants got to win. And, you know, their next couple of games, they got Zach Wilson and the Jets, and they got on the road at the Raiders. Their defense has played pretty well the last couple of weeks. There's kind of a sneaky chance for them to get back semi-in contention. Yeah, this is my student of the week, too. Uh, like I said, we already talked about it. Daniel, uh, Tyrod Taylor played really well. Sam Howell played really bad. Tyrod Taylor, the thing about the difference about Tyrod Taylor is that he has a lot better ball security, it seems like, than Daniel Jones. That's for sure. Daniel Jones, five games played this year, six interceptions. He has more interceptions than he does actually games played. 
Uh, yeah, but Sam Howell, one of his worst games of the year. Yeah, I don't know what they do with Sam Howell going forward. Ron Rivera, like you said, Zach, it's that time of the year again. He's on the hot seat. This was the first time the Giants scored a touchdown in the first half all season, and it was against the Commanders. Commanders, I feel bad for the Commanders fans. I mean, they they were running pretty high uh, beginning of the season. They had a really you know good first you know three games of the season. Of course, it doesn't matter. It depends on how you play down the stretch, but. Uh, over the last, you know, four weeks or so, the commanders have just looked terrible getting back to their old ways. Uh, you know, people in the locker room saying things are very clearly frustrated. Um, Saquon Barkley, obviously he played another great game, 32-yard uh, pass play, uh, which, you know, sealed up their first offensive touchdown in the first half. He finished the game ultimately with 21 rushes for 77 yards three receptions and 41 yards and a touchdown as well. So uh, Saquon Barkley continues to be the best player on the Giants. What did we not get to? I mean, Falcons, Falcons, Bucks, you got to a little bit earlier, Justin. Uh, Raiders, Bears, we kind of already touched on it. Uh, you know, rookie quarterback Tyson Baggett, <laughs> I think it's how you pronounce it, Zach. He came in, he played really well. Three touchdown drive, I mean, his first start in the NFL. He was a Division two quarterback last year so he played really well uh anything you guys want to add eh, there's not much there i was just to say a couple of the other games we didn't talk a ton about chiefs chargers but even though patrick Mahomes threw for 323 in the first half and travis kelsey had 10 catches i think in the first half that is maybe the best quarterback to tight end tandem in the history of the nfl the only thing that's close is brady and gronk at this rate but i mean travis kelsey always seems to be open and i don't understand how but patrick mahomes when he plays at his very best is no doubt about it. Still the best quarterback in the league. And right now, this is probably still the team to beat in the NFL. They're 6-1. They've won their last six games with the defending champs. And I was impressed with their defense. I think people aren't talking enough about the Chiefs' defense. They've yet to allow more than 21 points in any game they've played this year. And even that comes with a caveat because they gave up 21 to the Lions, but six of them were on a pick six that went through Kadarius Toney's hands. So their defense has been phenomenal all year with Chris Jones obviously leading the way. When they can continue to play defense like that, I don't know if any team in the NFL beats them. And once again, the Chargers, in another big spot, come up smaller than mini-me. Justin Herbert seemed to be on the run the entire game. Offensively, though, for the Chiefs, I mean, very good first half. They were kind of stagnant in the second half. Uh, I I mean, really, both teams were. So were the Chargers. But, uh, you know, me me and you were talking offline a little bit, Zach. I mean, the game definitely had – you know, look, looked like it was going to be a shootout at first, you know. Yeah, that second quarter was something. It was 3-3, and then it was 24-17 at the end of it. Yeah, and then again, you got to the third and fourth quarter, you know, second half, and it slowed down yet again. It was kind of a mm-hmm. up-and-down roller coaster every game. Steelers-Rams, um, yeah, uh, what do you got? Rams again, <laughs> yep. big factor. Yep, yep. Puka Nakua continues to be amazing. Eight receptions, 154 yards. Uh, he's going to... He might be uh, rookie of the year. I mean, I don't know. Offensive if... rookie of the year, yeah. CJ Stroud. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah, quarterback. Uh, Cardinals, Seahawks. I don't think we got to this one either. Um, dominant, pretty much in all facets on offense. Yeah, Geno was pretty good through a couple of touchdown passes. Seattle pretty much clamped down on Josh Dobbs, kind of the workmanlike effort you would expect in a divisional game. Yeah, you know, like Geno Smith, he, you know, he played really well. Uh, Kenneth Walker played really well. Jackson Smith and Jigba from the Ohio State. Yep, he came alive. Uh, first first breakout performance of the season, really. I mean, I know the Seahawks fans were really waiting for him to kind of come out, and he did. Four receptions for 63 yards and a touchdown. Good for the Seahawks. Great win for them. Uh, 
What are we, Dolphins, Eagles? Obviously, we got to for sure. Yeah, I think we got mm-hmm. to every single game. Uh, any last minute words before moving on to college that you guys want to throw out here for this past weekend? I have a theory on scoring this week and going forward. So you know how preseason has pretty much become like nothing at this point and players, guys don't even play preseason games. Now it's taken them three or four weeks to kind of get their feet wet. Now we're in the middle of October. Now everybody's played five, six, seven games. So now the rhythm's starting to come back. The offenses are getting back into rhythm. It takes them a lot longer time to work into a flow of a game. And now we're starting to see quarterbacks, receivers all get into a rhythm, even going up against good defenses. So it, it, the first couple weeks are almost – they're not preseason games, but the way that they are as far as from a sloppiness perspective, they might as well be preseason games. I think now is when we're going to start to see scoring reach a higher uptick. Yeah, it will. I mean, I think that, the, you know, the first four games, maybe even the first five games are – Pretty much preseason football. I mean, it was still kind of the case. I mean, for for the Eagles especially. I mean, even in the red zone, that first drive was kind of, I mean, they they really should have went for seven there. But that was kind of the only fault. And Jalen Hurts with the turnovers, you know, that's a little bit concerning. That's definitely a little bit concerning. But, um but yeah, the way that but the way the Eagles won the game, they win on the line of scrimmages, the offensive line and the defensive line. I mean, Jalen Carter, people are already people are already comparing him to Reggie White and Jerome Brown, and obviously the Kelly Green jerseys played a factor. I mean, <laughs> the Eagles need to make those permanent. They do. I mean, the Kelly Green jerseys are just. I mean, probably the best retro jerseys in the league. I mean, the old best alternatives. In the league, but I would like to see some more alternative jerseys for all the teams. My three favorites are the powder blues from the Chargers, the Houston Oiler unis, and the uh, the Kelly Green. I know it's like probably you know something with contracts, and they can only do alternates so often. And you know to make it a permanent jersey, you have to probably file an appeal. It's probably a huge process. I'm sure it is, but you know, no, I agree. Uh, Kelly Green jerseys were awesome. AJ Brown, uh, fifth straight game with 125 plus mm-hmm. yards. Uh, but like I said, this really was the defense for the Eagles that got this game. Uh, that got this game one. Um, let's move on, guys. College football recap. We're gonna start with the Ohio State Penn State game. Uh, great game. Uh, like I mean, no surprise. No surprise. Marvin Harris went off. Uh, 11 catches, 162 yards, and a late touchdown. Defense OSU, amazing. Uh, McCord played awesome. I mean, what do you uh, what do you think, Zach, about this game? I'm sure you watched it. <laughs> oh yeah, just a bit. Uh, Ohio State's got a national championship caliber defense. There's no question about it. They're great at all three levels. The linebacking core played very well in this game. Penn State's longest run was 20 yards, as opposed to last year when they were giving up long runs to Michigan and Georgia at the very end of the season. This is a team that has yet to give up a play longer than 40 yards all year when that was the big bugaboo for them last year. The defensive line's really getting after it. JT Tuimalolau has made a living off Penn State the last two years. A couple of late sacks in the fourth quarter to help put this game away. Tyler Williams, a big defensive tackle at a big game. But I thought the biggest improvement for Ohio State has been their secondary. And even without their top corner in Denzel Burke, Penn State could do absolutely nothing. Drew Aller, 19-42 in this game, never looked comfortable. And then Kyle McCord had a rough start to this game, but he kind of settled down in the second half. Even though they couldn't really run the ball, the big difference in this game, Marvin Harrison Jr. He's the best player in all of college football. I don't care what position he is. 11 catches, 162 yards. He was basically Ohio State's offense for the most part in this game. And the defense 
controlled it. Then Marvin Harrison Jr. finished the game. Ohio State now has wins over Notre Dame and Penn State. When the playoff rankings come out next week, Ohio State should be the number one team in the country based on resume. And this team can absolutely win a national championship on the back of their defense. And if that offense continues to improve, look out. Yeah, but Cord had a season-high total yards on the year. Already mentioned Harris. Uh, yeah, Harrison, excuse me. He played really well. Penn State didn't get into the end zone until 29 seconds left in the game. They failed to convert on their first 15th third down attempt. So, yeah, off uh, defense, absolutely amazing for OSU. Probably the best defense in the league. Yeah, right now it's them or Michigan. I think those are the top two defenses, not just in the Big Ten, but probably in all of college football right now. Yeah, and we'll get to Michigan in a second, too, that, that, that mm-hmm. crazy game. But first, let's go to uh, Oklahoma's crazy comeback. My question for you, Dylan Gabriel played pretty well, fifth in Heisman contention right now, plus 1,200. Uh, I think, you know, he's definitely kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on this, though, guys. I mean, is it concerning that Oklahoma struggled against a worse or for sure uh, unranked USF team? Uh, I don't know about concerning because every team has one or two of these games every single season. It seems like Washington had one against Arizona State. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit, but... I think Oklahoma, this is a prime letdown spot for them. They're just coming off that big one over Texas. They had a bye week. It's a sleepy 11 a.m. kick against UCF, who they never played before. And they struggled throughout much of this game. But Dylan Gabriel had a big second half, a big fourth quarter, uh, you know, 253 yards, three touchdowns. They did rush for 189 yards as well. Oklahoma is a very good team. I don't know if they're a great team. I don't know if there is a great team in college football this year because it seems like everybody has had a clunker of a game. The big thing that separates the good teams and the teams that can win championships from the average teams are can you win your clunkers? Oklahoma won their clunker, and they got to get things settled down, but they didn't play very well. They still managed to win. You don't apologize for winning. USC collapsed again. Um, I mean, I think they're pretty much done at this point. Yeah, Definitely, sure. we'll, get, we'll get a bowl game, but I mean, their contention as a top team in, or their conversation as a top team in the league, I, I'm pretty sure it's just over at this point. Re- really similar to last year's USC-Utah game. Very similar score even, too. I mean, Caleb Williams is the only real resemblance of success for this team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to really say about this. Utah pretty it proved that in the absence of Cam Rising all season, they can still compete in the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 obviously won't be a thing anymore, but uh, Lincoln Riley has wasted so much talent at USC. Uh, that's that's the biggest problem for me. Going back to Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley has had generational quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now Caleb Williams, and he's never going to win a playoff game with any of those guys because he refuses to take that side of the ball seriously. And he's had the same defensive coordinator since 2019, even though he's proven time and again his teams can't stop anybody. Until Lincoln Riley takes defense seriously, he will never win a national championship. You should never, when you are at USC, you should never be getting owned by Utah. With all apologies to Utah. And by the way, I think if you ask me, outside of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, who gets the most out of his team in college football, I might tell you it's Kyle Winningham, the head coach of Utah. They do a great job every year with lesser talent, still winning 10, 11 games, beating teams they shouldn't. But Lincoln Riley will never win a national championship until he actually realizes that defense is part of the game. And roads only if the roads only going to get tougher next year, too. I mean, they're going to be in the Big Ten next year. So, yep. I mean, OSU, Michigan, Penn State, I mean – for the most part, the Pac-12, at least in the beginning of the year, I you could you could argue Pac-12 was the best conference in you know in football, college football, but maybe not so much anymore, especially with USC kind of falling a little bit. But no, oh, I think you still can. I think Oregon State's really good. Oregon's really good. Obviously, Washington's yeah. really good. Utah's pretty good. I mean, it's still pretty deep. Now, like I said, Big Ten's also also not uh, not easy either. So they're gonna definitely definitely have their. 
uh, hands tied next year too. Michigan, let's get back to Michigan. I know we mentioned it earlier. Uh, Michigan dominates among the allegations, uh, guys. You know, sign stealing. That was a big thing that came out earlier last week that Michigan might have been stealing signs, might have been stealing plays. Uh, you know, there were interviews with Cardball himself, staffers on the team. Uh, and Mich- I mean, obviously, in-state rival, Michigan State University. Uh, their coach just got fired, obviously, for allegations as well. So just a lot of, uh, you know, off-the-field off storylines about this game, but didn't matter. Michigan still went out, absolutely destroyed MSU. Yeah, do you think Jim Harbaugh will be back in the NFL at some point, or do you think this is going to, you know, derail him? I think he comes back to the NFL next year, maybe in the next two years. I think he's been trying to get back to the NFL for the last couple of years. It just hasn't happened, and this is going to be the thing that pushes him out. I don't know what to make of Michigan because they're dominating everybody and just beating them by incredible margins, but they're playing a high school schedule right now. It's impossible to evaluate them. If you're doing a power ranking, they're probably the best team in the country right now, but they're not tested. Ohio State's tested. Florida State's tested. You know, all these elite teams have at least played somebody, and this is where the schedule making of college football has to be different going forward. I would adopt an NFL style where maybe like the conference champs maybe of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 or the Big Ten and the ACC or, you know, mix whatever conferences they play each other next year. You know how in the NFL they have like the first place teams of, the AFC East play the AFC North or whatever. I think college football needs to adopt something similar so that we're not this deep into the season not knowing if Michigan's any good or how good they really are. But again, at least next year, no more conferences in Big Ten. So that'd be nice. That's going to help at least a little bit. I mean, obviously they play in the better conference, but uh, it might help with the schedule making a little bit. Obviously USC's going to come in. you got other teams coming into the Big Ten that might be more competition as well. So hopefully that will change things up a little bit, but we'll have to just kind of see. Iowa, um, terrible offense finally caught up to them. I'm kind of, I'm kind of sick of talking about Iowa to be completely honest. They could still win the division. Obviously, the Big Ten West is just going to be the sacrificial land to whoever wins the East. But yeah, I mean they, they definitely have a chance for the Big Ten West, but not the, not the no, title. Never There's did. no, like you said, the, whoever they play in the Big Ten East is going to just absolutely destroy them. Yeah, I really have nothing else to even say about this game. Uh, another instance where officiating screwed them yep. because of the inadvertent yep. fair catch signal, which was not a fair catch signal. Yep, fair catch on a punt return TD that negated the t- uh, touchdown ultimately. ACC craziness this weekend. Uh, Virginia beat UNC. I want to start with that first. The curse of the CW. Louisville suffered it last week and lost to a one-win team. Now North Carolina was undefeated and lost to a one-win team. So don't play on the CW. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Uh, ACC, uh, yeah, if you don't play on the CW. Drake May uh, took his name out of the Heisman contention. I want, to guys, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Do you think this game this past weekend uh, made it – I mean, he basically just took himself out of the – out of the conversation for Heisman for Drake May. Yeah, Heisman winners don't lose to one in five Virginia yeah. teams. They just yeah, don't. yeah, and you know that interception uh, at the very end that kind of sealed the game for Virginia. Uh, that also wasn't. I mean, good good stat line overall, but that bad of a loss is going to hurt your um, hurt your chances tremendously for for Heisman. Uh, they had a third string. They played against a third string quarterback, uh, and Pitt struggled against that as well. I don't really have much else to say about that. Um, Miami, Clemson, that was a thriller. Uh, Dabo championship era in Clemson is over. We've already talked about that at length before, guys. Super bad loss for, for him. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, what are anything else between the pit, you know, pit game, Miami, Clemson game? Like, what else do you guys, anything else you want to throw with the ACC this past weekend? Weird, weird games. Yeah, Florida State was able to beat Duke, and Duke lost Riley Leonard, so that was kind of a big deal for them. Florida State scores 21 in the fourth quarter, unanswered to win that game. Jordan Travis had yet another big game. Florida State is at a point where they've won three games against top 30, 40 opponents. They beat LSU, they beat Clemson, now they've beaten Duke. You look at the rest of the schedule, the only team that I see that can hang with them until the ACC championship game is maybe Miami, but that game's in Tallahassee. So I think of all the top contenders, I don't think anybody has a clear path to the playoff right now than Florida State. New week's resolutions. Let's go on to our new week's resolutions. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your new week's resolution? Uh, New week's resolution is please get better with the schedule making in prime time. Next week, we've got Bears Chargers on Sunday night. I talked about this a little bit last week. And then Raiders Lions is Monday night. Like, and Thursday night is Buffalo and Tampa Bay. Like, can we get some compelling prime time games? And I know people complain about, oh, we're going to overload it with the Chiefs or overload it with the Eagles. Fine. I want to see the good teams play. I don't care if I'm watching the Chiefs in prime time every week. I don't care if I'm watching the Ravens in prime time every week. When I sit down and want to watch a Thursday night or a Sunday night or Monday night game and there's no other options, I want the best teams playing. I don't care if it's the same teams every single week. Stop trying to force the Bears down my throat. Stop trying to force the Raiders down my throat just because they have large fan bases. Earn it on the field, and I want to see better games. Yeah, uh, we talked about we talked about it on Saturday, just kind of you know the process of flexing games and how much of a process it is. I mean, they need a 12-game notice. Yeah, I don't think even the large fan bases of teams like the Bears would actually want to watch that game anyway. It's an embarrassment to see the Bears on primetime just, you know, screw it up, as always, or any team like that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, they don't want their team playing. Like They don't want their team being showcased on primetime, let alone that they want to watch it themselves. They don't, want, they don't want the team to be, you know, people watching their team because they're so bad. My uh my new week's resolution, uh, Josh McDaniels, uh, I think might have to might have to go from the Raiders, get out of get out of Las Vegas. Um, you know, we just Zach, you just alluded to it. Raiders, terrible team. Uh, three wins this year, but not against the best opponents. They haven't really been able to compete against good competition this year. He was the reason they got behind a lot of the games and weren't able to come back. And yeah, I just think the Raiders have to move on from Josh McDaniels. Um, I mean, they have talent. Uh, overall, for the most part, uh, Garoppolo is not the best quarterback, but overall in offense, they have some good talent and their Raiders is or the Raiders defense will always be good. So I think Josh McDaniels is a big part of why they've been struggling so much. And yeah, I think they have to move on from from him. Justin, what is your new week's resolution? New week's resolution is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about the offense? Very good in the fourth quarter. I mean, they scored 14 points yesterday. But they kind of leave, but that's another team that leaves points on the board with Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator. We talked about it in numerous lengths. Matt Canada's probably the probably the weak link on the Steelers offense. I know Kenny Pickett hasn't been playing great either, but if Matt Canada if the Steelers could move on from him or you know, whatever they can do on offense, gotta start taking the offensive side of the ball more seriously in Pittsburgh. Steelers are four and two. <laughs> That's it. I mean, Ravens yeah. five and two. Uh, a surprising four and two. Yeah. I mean, Bills haven't had a bye yet, but better record than the Bills technically on <laughs> a win loss percentage. Uh, that's insane. No one would expect that. No one would expect that. They're, they're a sneaky four and two team though. They're definitely not uh, as 
you know, as good as that would that record would kind of indicate. I mean, they barely lost. I mean, they barely won this weekend in LA. They pretty much have a have a bad play call or bad referent call, I should say, uh, or miss call, however you want to say it, to help the team to to win in LA this weekend. But yeah, watch out for the Steelers. Always feisty and Tomlin. I know he's never not had a winning season so far with the Steelers and. Right now, they're they're on pace to to make that happen again, which I'm very surprised. I thought the Steelers were going to win maybe seven games this year. Well, they're only three away from doing that with, you know, over how many, what, like 10 weeks to go. So, all right, guys, we're going to move on to Mike Berman. Awesome, awesome interview with him. Going to break down Connor Bedard. Two goals, two assists so far on the year. Playing really, really well. Uh, this is coming off of his uh, home opener. Surprising. NHL's been back for a long time. This is actually their... <laughs> the first time Chicago's been at home all year. Uh, last night, uh, we're going to go over that game. Go over the Bears. They've had a good, you know, they've had a good couple weeks, good past couple weeks. Definitely are playing better than they did the you know start of the season. And then getting some Bulls talk too. First game at home uh, against Oklahoma City uh, tomorrow night. So getting all that with him. Great interview, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Okay, we now head back to the Windy City and bring on Mike Berman from NBC5 Chicago. Mike, had to have you on again. Connor Bedard, first home game this last Saturday night. Looking really, really good so far. Bears playing a lot better, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We'll get to that in a little bit too. Bulls start the season uh, tomorrow night. I do want to start um, with Connor Bedard, though. Two goals, two assists so far. Uh, Like I said, first goal over the weekend. At home, their first home game against Vegas. Um, what so far has been the reception for Connor Bedard? I mean, is he uh, exceeding expectations? He's on pace for expectations. Like, what are the fans really saying about his his start so far? I mean, first of all, guys, thank you very much for having me. Good to be back. Um, I, I got to I got to just say this to start. So I've covered two of his games to this point. The first one was the season opener in Pittsburgh. Um, and it was so cool even to feel the energy inside of PPG Paints Arena there for Connor Bedard to start playing. So even on the road, you know, you could feel the energy and you could see so many 98 Blackhawks sweaters in the crowd. Um, so that was cool on its own because it was his first career game. Then the other night at the United Center, um, it was just electric. I mean... It felt like a, a playoff game, the buzz leading up to the game. And you had so many 98 sweaters in the crowd, and you had so many fans who've gone through these last handful of years where the Hawks have been really bad. Um, just just really excited and energetic to see this kid play on home ice. And for him to score on his first shot inside the United Center, uh, it was a power play goal from the slot, like 90 seconds into the game. What a moment. And the Hawks ended up losing that game, uh, you know, to, to the Stanley Cup champs, the Golden Knights. But I don't think anyone who was there is going to remember the result. They're going to remember that they were there for Connor Bedard's, you know, electric first goal inside the United Center. And, and that moment was just so cool. So overall, I think the reception to him is very positive. You know, I, I think that expectations are unreasonably high because of his talent and the way that he's been built up, um, you know, during his career and, and during the pre-draft process. And then with the Hawks winning the lottery and, and 
having the opportunity to take him. You know, everyone's expecting him to be this this God, this Savior. And he may be, but, you know, it's still going to take him a little while to get adjusted and, and to be playing at that kind of level every night. But you see the flashes um, every game. You see some flash. And when one of those special moments happens, like a goal inside the UC on his first shot last Saturday night, you know, that's a reminder of the possibilities and what might be with, with this kid down the line with the Blackhawks. What is, um, just with how well he's been playing so far, what is the expectation for the Blackhawks this year for the fans? I know we kind of alluded to it um, when we had you on about you know, a month ago, but what is like the, I mean, has it changed at all? I mean, uh, people are expecting him to kind of flame out a little bit. Obviously, you just kind of mentioned it a little bit ago. He's playing at a really high clip right now. Uh, you know, fans are kind of questioning, is he got, maybe they might be questioning, you know, is he going to be able to keep up this production that he's doing right now? But just what is the, you know, expectations? Like, would fans be thrilled for even a playoff berth at this point? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think most reasonable fans understand that the Hawks probably aren't a playoff team yet. I think the expectation is to be better than they've been. And I think that's going to be the case because of Bedard and because of some of the other guys that they added. Um, you know, they're definitely more talented than they've been, but they still have some young guys who need to get experience and grow. And, you know, I, I don't, they certainly don't have a dominant goaltender. Um, so, yeah, I think if they were to make the playoffs, that would be a really awesome story. And I think fans would be overjoyed with that. But I think most of them are pretty realistic, understanding that it'll take another year maybe to get there. And hey, you know, what better way to put up with another year not making the playoffs than by being intrigued every time he takes a shift? You know, every time 98 gets on the ice, you want to watch it. So that's a good distraction. Forget about the playoff thing. You, every time Bedard is on the ice and takes a shift, you're watching to see what happens. Well, so I, I want to talk to you about that. So I was, my next question was going to be, you know, what is the timetable? And you think it might only be a year. I was thinking maybe three, four, four years, but you think it might maybe even by next year, you know, putting some places around him, putting some things around Bedard, you might even think next year they could make the playoffs, huh? Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right in that next year is a little ambitious, but I don't see it taking three to four years. Um, you know, if he's as good as advertised and, you know, we're seeing the flashes early on, you know, they've also got a, a young defenseman, Kevin Korczynski, who they drafted in the first round last year. He's already playing with them uh, as a 19 year old. So they've got these really talented young guys who are getting that critical experience, learning the ins and outs of, of being a, uh, an NHL player at a young age, as a teenager. And I would imagine that with those guys joining some other talented guys, and then you add guys in the offseason via the draft and free agency, they've got a chance to, you know, next year or maybe the year after um, be getting back to the playoffs. I mean, I, I think about how quickly things moved for them when they drafted Patrick Kane first overall in 2007. So, you know, a generational, special star talent like that can really accelerate a rebuild and, and really accelerate that 
that runway or, or traveling that road back to the playoffs. So I'd be surprised if it took them three or four years to get back. I think it happens sooner. What would you say the Blackhawks' biggest needs are outside of Bedard, outside of the goaltender, as you just alluded to? What would be the biggest needs for the Blackhawks? Well, I, w- I, would, I would say uh, finding that dominant goaltender. I know, I know you listed it, but that to me is is kind of where they're at. I think, uh, you know, Peter Morazic, solid veteran, Arvid Soderblom, um, solid younger guy, but neither of them at this point strikes me as, you know, that dominant goalie who is going to keep you in every game. Um, so I, I think if they found that person, um, that would really help them take off. Well, at least in the meantime, Mike, like you said, they're going to be probably sold out, like you alluded to earlier. They uh, expect sold out crowds for you know the years to come uh, at, at United Center. Um, I do want to move on to the Bears, unless you have anything else to mention about the Blackhawks. Um, playing a lot better over the last uh, three weeks, really, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, haven't had an opponent score more than 20 points over the last three weeks. Uh, only loss over the last three weeks was the Vikings, and we just saw how the Vikings played last night. They, you know, they beat probably the best team in the NFL on Monday Night Football. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you win, if you hold your opponent to twenty points a game, you're going to win probably at least half of your game. So, if they can, if the defense can continue playing the way they are, I mean, what's kind of the outlook for the Bears right now? We thinking, uh, I mean, what are the, I mean, the fans have to be very excited and very happy with how they've been playing so far. Well, let's see, they're two and five. You know, they win 10 in a row. That's 12 and 5. And um, and they're they're a lot for the playoffs. And then they probably make it to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, and, you know, schedule the parade. I'm kidding. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the bar is pretty low for the Bears right now. So seeing them compete and seeing them... Yeah, I mean, the defense has looked dramatically better. And, and last week they had a pick six and they had three three interceptions. Um, so that's a very positive step. You know, and offensively, it's, it's going to be a waiting game to see when Justin Fields is able to get back from his dislocated thumb. Already this week, Matt Eberflus said he's again doubtful to play against the Chargers in L.A. So it'll probably be Tyson Bajan again. And that's a great story. Uh, you know, an, uh, a D2 star who, understandably, is undrafted. Bears sign him as an undrafted free agent. He plays well enough in, in, um, in camp and preseason to, to win a roster spot. And the Bears eventually make him the backup. Um, you know, I mean, he's a guy who no one gave him a chance, and here he is about to likely start his second straight NFL game, and he won the first one. So it's a great story, and um, that's all well and good, but the reality is the Bears, they need Justin Fields back, if for no other reason than to get as much time as they possibly can to evaluate whether or not he's the guy. You know, they they need to know before they hit the off season if they want to pick up his fifth year option because they need to make that decision before the league year. I mean, certainly to this point, unless 
unless he plays cons- dramatically and consistently better down the stretch, you're not giving him a, a major contract extension. You know, I don't think you've seen enough to feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. So as nice as the Bajan story is, as nice as it, it is that he won a game last week against a, a Raiders team that looked, with Brian Hoyer starting, looked atrocious. Um, that's not to take away from Bajan. He did a good job. The Bears didn't ask him to do much, but what they did ask him to do, he did great. Um, but still, you know, let, let's keep in mind who, who the win was over, and let's keep in mind what the bigger picture is for the Bears here, and it's to figure out what they've got with Justin Fields because they've got what will end up being two high draft picks in the first round. So they need to know um, if they're going to be using one of those picks on someone like Caleb Williams or Drake May, and if they decide that, you know, that is the quarterback that they want to look to to build a team around as opposed to Fields. Yeah, at least Bajan, you know, has been a storyline that hypes the fans up a little bit, gives the fans something to kind of, you know, cheer for. Absolutely, because you know what? Most most, most storylines surrounding the Bears, like 99% of them, are so negative and, and they, they just bring you down. So the Bajan story puts a smile on people's faces. It, it, it just, you know, he's a guy you can cheer for. He's he's the underdog that that anyone can cheer for. So that has been cool to watch that happen and and to listen to him talk. He's just he's so cool and confident. And um, again, it's a it's a cool story for sure. And I was going to ask you too. And again, you've already alluded to it. Already kind of answered it. What you know where they were kind of leaning towards with Justin Fields next year. And like you said, they're kind of leaning towards maybe going QB hunting in the draft. My, my question for you though is, I mean. Again, we kind of already know the answer to this, but do the fans have the patience again to kind of go through another quarterback pick? You know, because Justin Fields, you know, when he first got drafted by the Bears, obviously they were thinking he would be the guy. They were excited for him, seeing his progression, and then didn't end up turning out to be what they wanted. Unfortunately, now are they are the fans going to be patient enough to kind of go through this process again, getting a top quarterback in the draft, and you know, kind of playing the wait and see game to see how he can kind of progress for the team. I think so because I think anytime you you take a you know a star college quarterback early it's it's kind of reinvigorating you know it, it's like there's it it like resets the hope meter and immediately you're inclined to say like all right now we got the guy this this is the guy you know Trubisky Fields forget those guys this is the guy so I think yeah I think uh I think if for no other reason than, you know, that that hope comes back into play, a clean slate with um, a highly touted quarterback, you know, that that's a reason that fans are willing to be accepting of moving on from one quarterback to the next and hoping that finally this guy is the guy the Bears can can trot out there for years and years as their as their centerpiece, as their starting quarterback, because the Bears have been looking for one. For ages. Um, so there's always hope that the next guy is the guy. What would you say the other needs are for the Bears outside of quarterback? If they don't move on from Justin Fields, let's say, what would they go? Would they go defensive line or offensive line? What would their biggest needs be? Well, and by the way, they do, they'll do. they have two early picks. So they could go 
with a quarterback and also get, you know, a real impactful guy early. But they got to get better rushing the passer. They need they need an edge guy who can who can be, you know, the guy that that offenses plan around. The guy that keeps the offensive coordinator up at night. You know, like a Bosa or a Crosby or, you know, or a Garrett, you know, one of these guys. They just they were last in the league in sacks last season and they don't the production isn't really there this season. So I would say I would say, you know, a, a dominant edge rusher would be probably be priority number one. It'll be it's I, I'm sure they'd like to fortify their offensive line. They'll have to make a decision on like they went into this year with a second year guy, Braxton Jones, as their left tackle. Uh, he got hurt early and they haven't said for sure, but it could be season ending. Um, how does that impact how they evaluate where they want to go at the left tackle spot. Um, do they want to move on from one of their guards like Cody Whitehair? Well, he's played some center and guard. You know, I, I think they'd always be interested in in um, improving the offensive line in addition to edge rusher. They're pretty set at, like, inside linebacker. And in the secondary, I guess that might be decided by um, whether or not they extend Jalen Johnson. And if they did that, you know, they'd probably be feeling good about where they are in the secondary. Um, then again, Eddie Jackson is a veteran at safety. Maybe they decide to move on from him and, and take another safety. But I'm rambling. And the answer, Jared, to your, to your original question is, above all, they got to get better getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So that that's why what I would say would be their number one non-quarterback need if they, well, regardless of what they do at quarterback, number one non-quarterback need. Just my last question before moving on to the Bulls with the Bears. I mean, you just mentioned it with the quarterback. That's the number one need, obviously, is the quarterback. Is there any rumblings as far as, as like who they might go with? I mean, whether it be the fans, what they're saying, the front office, what they're saying. I mean, Let's just cons- let's assume that they have the number one overall pick, and they have anyone to choose from. You know, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Penix, Quinn Ewers, Bonix. Like, is there anyone in particular they're like leaning towards? Tell me if that's too little of a question, or you just don't know. Obviously, you can't you can't read minds. But anyone in particular, is it just going to be the best available? Do you think at that point? I think right now it's too yeah. early to determine all yeah. that. You know, there's there's still more than half the season left to be played. Still, you know, important college games to be played and and evaluated. And, uh, you know, it all all comes back to, you know, what do we see from Justin? Justin Fields is going to make the decision for them. You know, what he does over the, you know, fingers crossed he's healthy enough to play, you know, over the last couple months. And... And he makes the decision for them. So I think right now, too early to tell. But yeah, no, either way, Mike, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have someone to choose from. I mean, a quarterback, a plethora of quarterbacks to choose from, whoever that might be at that time. Yep. Yeah, whether it's their and, and whether it's their pick or the Panthers pick. Um, you know, more and more, the trade that Ryan Poles made last offseason to get that Panthers pick and DJ Moore you know, looks like a phenomenal trade because whether the Bears want to go quarterback or whether they want to get a 
you know, two guys who don't play the quarterback position who can impact them early, it's going to happen. Um, you know, they're going to get, they're going to get an impactful quarterback in someone else or two impactful non quarterbacks early in the draft, you know, plus you've got, you've got DJ Moore locked up for, I think another three years. Um, maybe it's two, but you know, multiple years after this. So, uh, that, that, looks more and more like a very, very positive move for the Bears. I do want to move on and finish up with some Bulls talk, Mike. Open up the season tomorrow at home against Oklahoma City Thunder. Made the play-in last year. Uh, gave Toronto, I mean, beat Toronto, obviously, and then they gave Miami a run for their money, who obviously we know how Miami fared you know, in, in the postseason last year. So kind of a weird, I mean, what is the fans thinking about uh, the Bulls coming up? I mean, I always mention the word, you know, purgatory when it comes to yep. NBA specifically, because a lot of the teams find themselves in that position where they're not good enough to make a deep run, but they're not bad enough to get good picks either. So what are the fans like clamoring for? Do they want to, the team to kind of blow up or do they, do they have faith that this team might actually be able to make a deeper run in the playoffs? I mean, like I said, they did pretty well in the play-in, um, you know, this past year. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of faith that this team is <clears throat> going to be, dramatically better than it was last season. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, I do think they're kind of in that no man's land, that purgatory, you know, good word that you used. I just, I just think they're, you know, they essentially brought back the same team with, with a few tweaks. Um, I, I love, I think they added great depth pieces with Javon Carter and Tory Craig, but you know, they're still lacking, in my opinion, they're still lacking a dynamic, great point guard. And, you know, that's so important in the NBA. And they, they just don't, they don't have that guy. Um, and that's where, that's where it's really unfortunate that Lonzo Ball has dealt with the injuries that he has because, you know, the, the year, the half of a year that he played with, the trio that they have currently, you know, Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine, they were really good. They were, you know, I think they had the best record in the East to that point, certainly one of the best teams in the East. And and just without, you know, he really made them go. So um, without him, they've never been anything more than just kind of like a fringe playoff team. And it's hard to imagine that they're much better than that this year. And I, I don't think fans are unrealistic about it. I think there was some frustration that the front office just decided to essentially run it back and re-sign Vooch and, yep. and, and choose to believe that this core of guys without Lonzo Ball can, can get better. Um, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope they are, but, <laughs> you know, between the Bucks and the Celtics and some yep. other teams in the East, you know, it's, it's competitive, so... I mean, there's no way they're better than the Bucs or the Celtics. So already, already you're talking about a ceiling of what? Three, the three or the four seed. And, you know, that still to me is probably unlikely. Yeah, no, I mean, Cavs are going to be good this year too. And NBA is frustrating when it, mm -hmm. when it comes to that. I mean, even Justin and I, we're both from Philly actually. So we, we are more, you know, we're, Sixers fans, and even for the Sixers, it's 
what's their ceiling, right? I mean, you you talk about the Bucks, you talk about the Celtics. I mean, like I said, the Cavs are going to be really good this year too. So even for a team that is better than the Bulls, like the Sixers, there's still even a wind, a, a cap for them as well. I mean, unless you're one of the top four or five teams in the NBA, it can get kind of frustrating. And I've, and I've talked about that before just personally too with, you know, off air and on air, just how the NBA is just so top heavy. And then if you're not one of those top teams, it's just kind of, you know, you, a lot of teams find themselves in no man's land. Just, just like we talked about with the Blackhawks and the Bears, we, you know, we asked about what would be like a big missing piece for the Bulls. And I think you just kind of alluded to it, a dominant uh, point guard play that stays healthy. You know, Lonzo Ball, like you just said, has been having an injury concerns, unfortunately. And so would you say like that's that's accurate? Like that would be like their biggest next piece. Yeah. Like a, a nice dominant, like, you know, star point guard that, you know, can help run the team. 100%. And that's where the purgatory thing really comes into play, you know. Then you end up drafting in the middle of the first round and, you know, the odds decrease dramatically that you're able to get a point guard that is, you know, a star and and a conductor like that. So, um, yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's tough when you've got, you know, Lonzo you know, with a sizable contract that's still got life on it. Um, So, you know, that impacts what you're able to do financially. And you're also hoping that he can eventually come back. But, but yeah, I can see the Bulls, again, picking in the middle of the first round. And then one of those star point guards just isn't there. I have an interesting question. Is How is the free agent situation for the Bulls. I mean, is it a popular spot for free agents? I mean, obviously, the Bulls have a fantastic history as a franchise. Uh, that's, that goes without saying. But it's also Chicago in the winter when the season's played, which we all know can be a little bit rough, too. So but a, a serious question. I mean, like, what from what you've seen over the years, I mean, is it a pretty popular free agency destination for, for, for people to go to? Well, they certainly have had their misses along the way. Um, you know, years mm-hmm. ago, whether it was um, uh, Carmelo, there have been examples. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's always going to be a draw to a great city like Chicago with a great history. But, you know, I also think that the days of, you know, players feeling like they need to play in a major market to maximize what they can do off the court you know, financially, those days are long gone. So you can go anywhere and, and get big in endorsement deals because, you know, it, it's, it's not about getting the, the publicity that comes with a major market. You know, the publicity is available anywhere with the reach of the internet and social media and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely not as easy to just sell like, hey, we're Chicago, we're the Bulls as it may have once been, but even over the years, they've, they've had trouble landing some of the, the big fish at times. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see Chicago and the bulls on their own, you know, being the kind of draw that just automatically brings in huge talent. Well, Mike, can't thank you enough for coming on. I do want to ask one more question about the bulls. How are the fans? Are they pretty excited to see Sonogo play? Obviously played really well in UConn. was amazing, you know, down the stretch in March Madness. 
I mean, how, are they pretty excited just to see him, you know, take the court and, you know, start to play under center? I've got to be honest. I bet most Bulls fans don't even know much about him. I mean, I, if you watch the tournament, you know that he was part of UConn's amazing run and he was fantastic. But, mm-hmm. you know, where does he project as an NBA guy? Not sure. Um, I think most Bulls fans are more interested in seeing, you know, what what do things look like with Kobe White and Javon Carter um, and Ayo Dosumu, you know, all sharing duties handling the ball and what do things look like? They're going to try and go a little faster offensively. Um, you know, what does that look like with Vooch and, and DeRozan and Levine? I think those are some of the things that they're more uh, focused on instead of what, what they'll get from Adama. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see how the bull season turns out. I mean, I hope it would be cool to see them make, you know, not a play in, but make an actual, you know, get to that, I guess, first round, you would call it, depending on how you look at it. But Brooklyn Nets were that team last year, that cutoff team in the East. They had 45 wins. So, you know, I would love to see Bulls kind of get to that point. Like I said, they played really good in the play-in on play last year, and it would be really exciting to see how they can do, you know, in an actual series, not, you know, not a one-and-done type of deal. So we'll see how it goes. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to maybe touch base then, maybe maybe through this, midway through the season and, you know, have you on again. That sounds great, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the NBA season getting going. Um, hopefully Justin Fields getting back and getting to see more of what he can do. And, uh, like, like I said earlier, looking forward to every shift Connor Bedard takes, cause it's fun to watch that kid play. And thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Oh, thank you for always, always happy to, happy to have you on. Love having you on. So we'll definitely do it again sometime. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Mike. Yeah. Thanks guys. Okay, let's finish the show with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, what is your intake of the week? Intake of the week is the loser. Any and losers of the Eagles and the Dolphins game. That obviously being the Dolphins. Whoever lost this game, we would have said this. This te- That team is not a real contender, either the Dolphins or the Eagles. Dolphins falling to 5-2. and two, Eagles improving to 6-1. and one. The Dolphins so far have played some pretty pretty bad opponents outside of the Eagles and maybe Buffalo, but I'll get to the bills in a minute on my outtake. But I think this is a, this was a litmus test for both teams and the Eagles also proved themselves as as the, one of the top horses in the league and in the NFC. Also Jalen Hurts was playing with a knee brace in this game as well. My intake of the week, uh, CBS Sports ranked the top 25 matchups this year coming up in college basketball, and they ranked the Duke versus Michigan State matchup as the the best matchup of the year. Awesome take. I think this is going to be, this definitely will be one of the top matchups, uh, maybe even the most top, you know, even the the, the, the top matchup, I should say. Duke heads into the season with major expectations uh, under new coach John Shayer. Uh, Shire, excuse me. Also, the number two recruiting class in uh, of 2023, Michigan State, though, has the number five recruiting class as well. Tom Izzo, amazing coach. He brings back all a lot of his star players from last year, and so does Duke. This is going to be uh, just an amazing uh, matchup. Uh, I'm excited to see when it happens, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an explosive game and good for CBS getting that getting that right. So. 
Zach, what is your intake of the week? So my intake of the week is going to be the AFC North is the best division in all of football. I don't think there's any doubt about it right now. We talked about the Ravens might be the best team in the AFC up there with the Chiefs. The Browns figure out ways to win games, got one of the best defenses in the, the entire league. And yesterday they still won a game when they gave up 38 points. Steelers somehow managed to win games. I still am waiting for the, uh, the other shoe to drop with them, but they're still winning games. And then the Bengals, I actually think, have the bigger upside of all three of those teams, maybe outside of the Ravens right now. I think if the Bengals can turn things around with Joe Burrow, the last two games they've looked pretty good against Arizona and Seattle. We'll find out next week when they play the 49ers how improved they actually are. But I think the Bengals are still a team primed to make a run in the second half of the season. So I think it's going to come down to the Ravens and the Bengals still in the AFC North, even though Cincinnati's in last place right now. But this is easily, I think, the best division in all of football. Uh, Justin, what is your outtake of the week? Outtake of the week is going to be the Buffalo Bills. This is a team that's not a Super Bowl contender. This is like the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC, with a lot of people picking them at the beginning of the year to go to the Super Bowl, potentially even win it in the AFC, both the Bills and the Cowboys. That's just for for the to pick those two teams, not, not the best pick so far. Obviously, I know Dallas 4-2, and two, they were on a bye but they're not what they were probably the first two games of the season. And then the Buffalo Bills, just shocking. I mean, they don't have a lot of offensive weapons. The defense is kind of – they have an older defense too. And for the Bills, they kind of have a tough schedule coming up. They do have a tough schedule coming up. And I think the Buffalo Bills are very overrated. And another question, do you think – they should move on from Sean McDermott as their head coach. I think they will if the Bills don't do anything as far as if, even if they make the playoffs and get eliminated early, I don't think McDermott's coming back next year. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the curse you get when you have such high expectations that the, <laughs> there's some teams that would love to even just make the playoffs, but the Bills have, you know, they're they they're way beyond just making the playoffs and, you know, getting past the first round. So, yeah, I I think so too, Zach, if he doesn't get past that first round, uh or he even has a bad divisional round uh, showing. You could even see him maybe not coming back next year as well. But my outtake of the week, uh, Sports Illustrated wrote an article about the OSU-Penn State game, and they said that basically Penn State lacks what it takes to be an elite team. Uh, they lost to Ohio State this this weekend. Uh, probably the best team, arguably the best team in the league, or you know, in all of college football, at least the top four team, at least the playoff team. Penn State definitely still has what it takes to be a top team in the league. They held one of the best offenses, you can argue, in Ohio State. Uh, you know, they held them under control this past weekend. Still have a really, really young 19-year-old quarterback as well. They're going to have, you know, they definitely have what it takes to compete at a high level in just one game. They've already played some really, really tough matchups this year as well. Uh, you know, won those and were able to hang in with all of them as well, too. So, yeah. Penn State still definitely an elite team. This is just one one weekend against an actual really really good team, probably the best team in, in the country. And even that wasn't wasn't was a close game that Penn State kept it to. Zach, what is your outtake of the week? Emmanuel Acho coming out and saying Caleb Williams should sit out the rest of the season after they lose to Utah. It's just such blasphemy. Like 
the NIL deal is not going to – it's going to go away if he were to sit out the rest of the year. And everybody's talking about, oh, it's a smart business decision. He doesn't need to play anymore. Caleb Williams, I still think, has a lot to prove because what we've seen at USC is he beats up on bad defenses. When he's gone up against the best defenses, against Utah and against Notre Dame last week, he has historically struggled. He's presumably the number one pick in the draft, but if he doesn't play for another two months, then that allows Marvin Harrison Jr. or Drake Bay or somebody else to take all the shine away from him. I still think Caleb Williams has a chance to go out against Washington, against Oregon. Even if his team can't win the national championship, he has an opportunity to go out and play well against those teams and continue to answer a lot of questions about his NFL future. And what kind of message does it send if you're going to be the leader of your team and give up halfway through the season? I completely support guys that don't want to play a meaningless bowl game if it's outside of the college football playoff because that's just one game. But you have still half a season to go. you still got your teammates. And by the way, most of the people that play football play football because they love playing football. So I just don't understand this whole notion of you lose a couple of games and now you're supposed to give up everything. Come on, Emmanuel Acho, you're better than that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, guys, good show. Uh, Thursday, going to have on John Renigo, uh talking about the Spurs. It will be the day after uh, uh, Yama's home debut with the Spurs uh, in San Antonio. Great interview with him. Going to break down their whole season ahead, but in particular uh, Yama so far. Preseason, how he played. Uh, we're going to break down his home opener that he's going to have tomorrow night. And uh, getting to a lot of other things with the Spurs as well, just their expectations coming up in the season uh, ahead. So, uh, yeah, Thursday we'll, we'll talk to him. Great interview. And until then, keep on traveling.